These days, in the life cycle of many clinical trials, data are collected, analyzed, maybe published, and then they lie dormant, never to provide any additional value. An Institute of Medicine committee is now recommending that we design a system for getting greater use out of those data by encouraging investigators to share them with others. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Jeffrey Drazen, Editor-in-Chief of the journal. Dr. Drazen has written a perspective article on the sharing of patient data from clinical trials. Dr. Drazen, you were a member of the IOM committee that explored the sharing of individual patient data gathered in controlled clinical trials. What prompted the IOM to address this issue? There was a concern by all parties involved that the patients who altruistically volunteered to participate in clinical trials to put themselves at risk were doing so because they wanted the information that was gathered from their sacrifice to become public. And although parts of it became public, there were thoughts that there was much more information that could be of value that no one was ever using. And in order to honor the sacrifice that these people make, we want to have the data out in a place that can be widely used. Data from clinical trials have in the past been considered proprietary and closely held rather than being shared within the research community. Is that historically the norm? And if so, what's the shift now? It's been the norm in some settings, but not in others. For example, from the beginning, data that we gathered in clinical trials using gene expression arrays has been widely shared with the gene expression community. In fact, it's been the policy here at the New England Journal and many other journals to share those data on a public website. In many areas, for example, the NIH-sponsored Immune Tolerance Network and a number of studies from the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, the data have been more or less publicly available depending on the specific study. So there are lots of examples of clinical trial data that can become public. And over the past two years, many pharmaceutical manufacturers have made their data public through a process where people interested in obtaining the data petition a committee with an idea, and the committee's been approving these ideas unless there is something glaringly wrong with the idea. So their idea hasn't been you have to have a highly meritorious proposal, rather you have to have a proposal that's not unmeritorious. And with that setting, data have been shared. So I think the community is evolving in its need and its desire to share data. You've argued that researchers owe it to trial participants who put their health and even perhaps their lives on the line for a study to ensure that good use is made of that data. Are there other important motivating factors for sharing? Well, I think that's the primary one. People want their information to be shared. But the thing is very important is to think about the person that's not yet in a trial. Suppose you do a trial of a drug that has equivalent efficacy but has an unexpected side effect and that there are companies that are developing different drugs but with similar mechanisms of action where you could be worried that the same unexpected side effect might appear in the second study. In order to keep from putting patients at extra risk, we think the information should be out there so the trial designers could either be aware of this side effect or perhaps change strategies a little bit to overcome the side effect. So this is a way that information that was gathered and not really being used could help protect people in the future. Last January, the IOM committee issued an interim assessment for public comment, and it proposed a framework for increased data sharing. So what was the feedback on that initial report, and what kind of response are you now expecting with the final version? We received hundreds of comments from the interim report with the idea that we wanted to hear from many different constituencies. 
We heard from patient groups. We heard from researchers. We heard from funders. We heard from regulators all around the world. So there was a lot of interest in that report. We took all the information into advisement, and each of us was assigned various areas of the comments to review. And when we put together the final report, we tried to take many of the ideas that people gave to us in mind. Of course, you can't always respond to everybody, but we tried to do our best to come up with a report that would serve the world well. And at this point, we're not done. The report calls for a general strategy for data sharing, but the specifics about how to make it happen are not yet in place. One of those specifics would be who actually holds the data. And, and you write in your article that third-party data warehouses could be responsible for holding it and parceling it out to qualified parties. So who do you envision running those warehouses, and how would they be regulated? Right now, there are a number of such warehouses. For example, in Yale, they have the Yoda, the Yale University Open Data Access Project, which now allows people to petition the Yale group to have access to clinical data sets. GlaxoSmithKline has stored its data with SAS, and there are many other drug companies that have come on board. And so when you petition GSK through their independent advisory board to obtain data, the actual data deliverer is not the drug company. Rather, they're held by a third party. The Yale Open Data Initiative took data from a number of investigations of a single product and made it available to specific groups that competed for access to it. So we think that data warehouses will spring up, and we think that they'll likely be very specialty-specific because the items that would be in a data warehouse for a cardiovascular study will be different from those in the data warehouse for a psychiatric study or a health services research study. So we think that individual groups of researchers will come up with ways of sharing data that are unique to their field and make it easier for investigators to both deposit and withdraw from data banks. You also mentioned in your article some of the risks that can come with making individual patient data available. For instance, that trial participants might be identified or that analyses based on incorrect assumptions could be published. So how could those risks be mitigated? There's nothing in life that can be done that's risk-free, but we think that the information availability outweighs the risks. The risk of patient identification could be mitigated by asking people to sign a data use agreement which says that they're not going to try to identify these patients. Now, of course, if somebody is desperate to identify people in a clinical trial, it may be hard to stop. But we think that there's actually not going to be many people trying to do this because the need for identifying patients in a clinical trial is actually pretty small. The biggest concern turned out to be one of rogue analyses. If somebody who has an animus against the trial funder or against the investigators has access to the data, he or she may be able to go through it, make different assumptions about what data are useful and what data aren't, and come up with a conclusion which is different from the one that was originally published. We think that in order to protect against this, when people publish secondary analyses, the onus lies with them to provide clear information on how the analysis which they're now proffering to be published differs from the original analysis and what assumptions were made that weren't made in the original analysis, what assumptions in the original analysis the investigators of the secondary analysis felt were inappropriate, and the reasons why. So that if there is a different conclusion that's drawn, people will understand the basis for that difference. 
Finally, how difficult do you think it will be to create a culture of enhanced data sharing, and what are the greatest challenges in making that happen? We need good, positive examples. Right now, many of the examples from data sharing are examples where secondary analyses have shown that the primary analysis was incorrect. And if the motivation is to catch mistakes or to catch people trying to pull a fast one on the community, this will never catch on. But if we have positive examples where people are able to take data, discover information in the data sets that were not available, that people hadn't thought of previously, and are able to advance the art and science of medicine, then it'll catch on right away. It's already happened in the data sharing community with respect to RNA arrays, and it's now standard practice and people find it very useful. So what has to happen is people have to do this, people have to use each other's data, and find out that they can learn something from someone else's data that saves them time and money, puts fewer people at risk, and advances human health. Thank you, Dr. Drazen.